we're on location to learn about the only officially licensed IT experience in the world. That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunted attraction industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, on-location coverage from Halloween experiences worldwide. Whether you're a professional or an enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and an amazing weekly industry newsletter. Links to subscribe are in the show notes. Escape It is an escape room on steroids. Guests arrive to Derry and embark on a mission with the Derry Public Works to find the missing children. The nearly 90-minute experience spans 16 rooms and brings you face-to-face with full-scale scenes from the movie. After three years of planning, Escape It Chapter 1 has officially opened in Las Vegas. So of course, I went on location to speak with creator Jason Egan about the experience, his journey working with large IPs, and the future of year-round horror experiences. Jason and his team are pros in the industry, and they've been working with IPs since 2009 and large-scale haunt experiences long before that. So he has quite a lot of experience in this realm. Here's Jason on location at Escape It in Las Vegas. So I'm Jason Egan, and I build some of the scariest and best horror attractions in the world. So we are at the brand new Escape It and this is Escape It Chapter One. We're actually in the retail right now, our museum, and we are right now in front of the real three doors from the movie. When guests pull up, they're not in Las Vegas anymore. They're in the town of Derry, and you're on a mission to find missing children that Pennywise has taken. This is unlike any attraction in the world. Over an hour and 10 minutes to get through this thing. 16 rooms of sheer terror. Sets feel like you're truly in the movie. This is the only licensed IT experience in the world right now. The Kneebolt house is 21 feet tall. I can't wait for you to see the finale as well, too. You got the Tower of Toys. I don't want to give too much away, but it is amazing. Your typical escape room is two to three rooms. You sit in there for 60 minutes, Mm -hmm. and that's not what I wanted. We had already had the Saw experience, the only licensed Saw experience in the United States, and then we had Blair Witch. And that model actually worked really, really well, where we were actually progressing through like the whole movie in multiple rooms versus two to three rooms. Because how do you cover an entire movie like it in just two to three rooms? You can't. There's so much content. And that's especially why we did chapter one and chapter two. So this experience took 14 months to build. We actually raised the roof on this building in certain sections from 14 feet to 21 feet to accommodate scenes like the Kneebolt House. Mm -hmm. We have this amazing finale with the Tower of Toys that we had to raise the roof as well too. And in chapter two, we've also got the the roof raised for our finale as well too because you don't want to go in a squatty scene and try to cheat the Kneebolt House. I mean, that's such an iconic piece in the movie. But when you enter these things, my main thing is I want it to be a speakeasy feel. We are coming to Derry. So we've got out in the front of this building, we've got Derry Public Works, the Capitol Theater, Jade of the Orient. And that's what I like. I like people when they pull up to this place, they're like, am I in the right spot? Wait, oh yeah, Derry, I, I am in the right spot. So you are on a search and rescue mission to help you know, the Dairy Public Works employees find the missing children. You check in at Dairy Public Works, and then you start your journey, and there's multiple actors in here. There's nearly 30 different puzzles you complete to make it to the next room. And uh, like I said, you could see all the iconic scenes, like from the three doors, you could see the Kneebolt house, the sewers, the clown funeral room is in there, the alleyway, quality meets, so many fun, iconic scenes. It Chapter One was the highest grossing horror movie of all times at over $700 million at the box office. 
that's insane. All these studios have really built these amazing franchises, and yeah. for them to entrust me with their amazing franchises is really cool. So in tune, the, the public trusts us when they come through this escape experience, and they know it's going to be a good one. If Warner Brothers trusted us, if Pennywise is there, yeah. they know it's going to be good, and we're a part of it, they know it's going to be great. How did you go from we're designing high-throughput capacity linear attractions to an immersive, slow, time-locked, IP experience. So 2009 to 2018, I was still doing high throughput capacity experiences because okay. I would, those were all haunted houses. So we had worked with brands like Saw, My Bloody Valentine, Halloween, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre, Five Nights at Freddy's, the late yeah. George Romero. I That's mean, right. in the collector, the collection, we yeah. work with so many fun ones. So when it changed forever to these year-round experiences, and why I like the year-round is because I don't have to tear it down. Yeah, it's your that was, idea. But then also, IPs are also going to do better. We're going to do 10 times the, the revenue with something based on Saw because these studios have spent hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases on building this brand. I think part of it might be the challenge of actually doing the licensing process. Why do you think they chose you to partner with to make these IPs happen? Well, you're exactly right. It's a huge challenge. It's a huge, you know, it's just, just getting challenge. a studio on the phone yeah. is a massive <laughs> challenge. And uh, and they're very protective of their brands because they know they can't go out and have get bad press that someone opened up some horror attraction and it's just absolutely yeah. terrible. It has to be good. We yeah. could hurt their next game release or whatever that might be. But uh, so there has to be a huge trust factor there too. Our relationships right now with Lionsgate is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Warner Brothers is absolutely amazing. We are so picky on these attractions and I'm so picky that I want to make sure everything is perfect. So when I'm presenting something to a studio, I'm not going to go to them with a Word document and I'll say, here's my Word document. I give them the best possible presentation I possibly could. So then I know if they say no in the end, that I'm like, I've done everything I possibly could to get that job. And that's what we did back in 2009 with Saw. We got lucky with the introduction with Lionsgate back then. That was yeah. actually it was a radio station that was doing some promotion back and forth with Lionsgate through an ad agency. And somehow we were able to get a meeting with Lionsgate and then they liked me because they could see the passion. But you know, that, that is the thing is putting your best foot forward. And now I've got such a killer creative team. I've got people that are former Disney Imagineers. I've got the former art director from Magic Kingdom in Florida. I've got one of Lionsgate's former team members on my team as well too. We've got amazing creative directors. So I have really focused a lot on putting amazing creatives in place. So now we can put these presentations together and yep. we can put these designs together in 3D renderings that blow people's minds. So if I were to summarize, do you think it would be fair to say that there was a little bit of luck that allowed you to make the introduction, but then you followed it up with your portfolio and then also your passion and the presentation part. So there's like these three components. You have to make them see the vision you have to prove that you've been able to do it and you have the right team. And then sometimes you need a little bit of luck to find the right person. It, it, luck is a lot of it. I look back to the little things that happened over the years. So in 2002, long story short, I had my haunted house. It was called Tomb of Darkness. It was an old abandoned ballroom. And the one day, the marketing director, Circus Circus, her name was Pam Torres. She came up with a business card. My mom was working the ticketing booth. And I'm thankful that my mom was working the booth because she handed that business card to my mom. Now, what if that would have been just someone working that ticket booth? What if yeah. they wouldn't? Have, what if it wouldn't have got to me? There would have been some crazy guy running front and front down that we won't mention names. There would have been some crazy guy running it. Probably would have lasted a year. Yep. Would have lasted 15. I'm a firm believer of fate, being in the right place at the right time. So, can you tell us about the throughput? Playing devil's advocate, mm -hmm. isn't that like a concern where 
you have this very long experience. Would it be a concern whether they have to go to the restroom in the middle of the attraction or more of a, <laughs> mo more of a monetary concern or both? Because yeah, yeah. we are right at the restroom threshold. Anything longer, yeah. they have to go to the restroom. So we yeah. are right at the sweet spot. That is definitely a concern. Monetarily, no, we're not. We're fine. We've crunched the numbers in advance to make sure. Right now, we load up to 10 people every 20 minutes so we can do okay. per side. So eventually, this guy will be able to do 60 people an hour. Is there only one group going through at a time? No, you can have five, basically. Basically, you okay. could have one in the lobby, you could have three in the attraction, and one in retail. So okay. you could have 50 people at any given time in here. So, and we've had to price it accordingly to make sure that we can we can break even, make money with it, yep. and everything else, and make the rent. But that's something we spend tons of hours on is crunching numbers to make sure that this will be profitable. The type of experience that we designed is a very specific type, and that's why the price has to be what it's at. It's not a $19 yep. attraction. It starts at $54.99. Tell me, in your words how you think this is different from other escape rooms. In my brain, this isn't an escape room. You have DMX control, you guys are working in the show control effects. There's a narrative shell, right? And there's puzzles and there's actors. I mean, it really is, and, and when you compare that to like then a single or, or, sec, or two room escape room, yep. how, how do you, in your words, how do you do that? And, and do you think that labeling yourselves in an escape room is, is detrimental? I think you bring up a, an excellent point, and it's something we think about all the time. So I call like, this. What are you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I call this an escape room on steroids. Is what I do. Yeah. The problem is all the search terms. Everything is yeah. escape room, People escape room, escape room. So I don't want to be the guy to try to come up with a term and spend all that money trying to force that force that down people's throats. So, and you can't just call yourself a haunted attraction because you, you've been in this business too. Year-round haunted attractions don't work either. So, so we are, I would love to just call myself an immersive experience, but- Like then, immersive horror experience, yeah, but that's immersive too horror vague. Yeah, yeah, but people wouldn't know what that is. And that's, so it's, it's the thing we argue with all the time. And I always say we are so much more than an escape room. We are not, because an escape room is literally, your average escape room is no bigger than this room that we're in right yes. now. So that is the constant problem. So we just try to do it, you know, our, in our marketing and our advertising, and we try to show what this is and how long this is and how amazing this is and how big this is. Why are you choosing to say we're going to tell the whole story of chapter one and it's going to be this 16 room hour long escapade versus you could take the same space and you could have five escape rooms and you could fit them all in, then you could double your throughput. I mean, why does it have to be this long experience with the actors and the puzzles and everything? I, I wouldn't be proud of breaking this up into and, and charging a customer $45, $55 and just having a two room experience. I wouldn't, that wouldn't be satisfying to me and I don't feel it'd be satisfying to my customers either. So I'm interested in, in wowing the hell out of people and then seeing people just come out of this thing like, oh my gosh, that what the hell? When you go into the Nebel house, you're just shocked. It really feels like you're in the movie. In some cases, it might even be better because we're 360 degrees around you. You can cheat that with a camera. You can't cheat that in the escape room. So we've had to build the ceilings. We've had to build this, the floors, things that you were looking at images of the Capitol Theater the other day. And it's like, you could cheat a lot on film. You can't cheat it. And then yeah. the things we have to make up too, because maybe we didn't see that side of the room. Maybe that side of the room wasn't built. So we have to make that up as well too. Let's zoom out and mm -hmm. kind of look at the macro trends. Tell me where you think we're going with year-round horror experiences. So I, I, I do like the fact that Universal's coming into town. I think Universal's an amazing company. They do an amazing job with their Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. I, I go yeah. there every year. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure they're gonna spend a ton on marketing too, which only helps me. They could be the anchor 
And, and little old Jason Egan could just, I guess I don't need to do like 60 people an hour here. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I don't need to do the 500 people an hour. But I think in certain markets, it would definitely not work. Vegas is an anomaly. Vegas has, this year, they're slated to have over 50 million tourists. It sounds like we're going to get the Oakland Athletics. We got the Raiders now. We got the Golden Knights. This town is on fire, but you couldn't say Universal's going to set up shop in Minneapolis, yeah. nor could Universal said, hey, we're going to set up this horror thing in Frisco, Texas. I love Frisco. It's an amazing market, but, you know, Texans aren't going to go to a yeah. house year round or yeah. whatever this thing is year round. You need the 50 million tourists. Right now we're talking with another company that's doing something in Puerto Rico. First thing I look at, how many tourists are there? Okay, 3 million. Well, it's not 50. Okay. So, we, we look and crunch all those numbers. So, basically, you're looking at how much density is there and then we're assuming that because horror is a subculture that X percent of the tourist population would be interested in horror, so they're... It's a combination of density and it's a combination of lack of things to do here too. It's like underdeveloped markets. Yep. So like Orlando has plenty of theme parks and attractions even though they have a lot of tourists, so it's kind of overdeveloped. It's also a lot of these shows, and I, and I love the shows, but a lot of these shows have priced themselves out, in my yeah. opinion. Like $750 for a ticket, that's too much. It really is. If you're doing a bachelor or bachelorette party in a nightclub, you're spending thousands to sit down with a bottle, just to sit down. It starts at like yeah. $2,500 at times, and it's like, that's too much. So to know that you can have a great experience at Saw, Blair Witch, or here for $45 to $55 a person, I mean, that's a great thing. And that's what we're going to continue to do is we're going to continue to do attractions in an affordable range for people to go through and we're going to make them absolutely amazing. We've got live shows in the works right now. We've got more immersive attractions. We've got things that aren't horror related in the works. Last year I did a, a Christmas experience as well too, a winter wonderland experience as well. So we've got so much fun things. We are literally backed up for the next four years and it, that is something I never thought I would say is like, yeah, I, I'm literally know what I'm going to be doing for the next four years and building these things. And I want to continue to build these things to entertain all these amazing people that come through every night. And I've gotten to meet so many amazing people that get to come through every night. You'll see all the pictures of me taking pictures of them at three doors and thanking them because that I genuinely am appreciative that they've come down to visit me, pay me to do what I love. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.